0: Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts, guests, and callers. Now the host of Let's Talk Adoption, Marty Caldwell.
1: Welcome to Let's Talk Adoption. I'm Marty Caldwell. I'm looking forward to spending time with you today. Each week, our show brings to you adoption professionals, authors, adopted parents, and people who have been touched by adoption. If you'd like to purchase CDs of our show, please email us at letstalkadoption.com or visit our our website. Archived programs are available on our site as well. I'd like to tell you a little bit about our guest today. We are happy to welcome back um, adoption attorney James Handy. We'll be discussing adopting beyond your state lines and what it is to adopt on an interstate adoption where you live in one state and the birth mother lives in another state too. We've invited Jim back because he has answered so many questions regarding adoption, is an adoption specialist in adoption law, and has helped hundreds of families adopt um, their forever child. Welcome to the show, Jim. Good morning, Marty. How are you?
0: I'm just doing fine and very, very glad to be here, and thank you for welcoming me
1: back. Well, thank you. We have so many questions for you. We actually have some questions in from listeners, too. I'd like to get right into this. First off, let's go ahead and go over what defines an interstate adoption. What does that mean?
0: An interstate adoption is is very simple. You have the adopting parents in one state and the placing parent in another state. And the reason I use placing parent is because that is the person who is actually signing the consent to the adoption, and that may be the the biological mother, the biological father, or both of them.
1: There are a lot of adoptions now that are going between two states. It's very, very common. You know, people, if they wait in their own state to adopt within their own state, can wait five, seven, ten years. And um, we're finding more and more people that um, are are going on the Internet and seeking uh, advice and services from other adoption professionals in other states. So what is it not? Uh, what is the interstate not?
0: Well, First of all, the first of all, it is not a an adoption within the state where everybody's in the same state. You have to have two different states. So so that's what it is not and that's what it is. Now, um because of the internet primarily um adoption has has just uh uh, expanded in terms of adoptive parents looking to adopt and a birth parents looking to place their child so for, for many instances the internet um, doesn't look at state lines it just you just search and you're now able to contact for instance people in uh, Georgia are able to co- contact Lifetime in, in, in California. There, anybody can contact anybody now. But what's very, very important for people to understand is that the adoptive parents, they, you know, their state is going to be involved because that is where they are going to, um uh, the child is going to reside. That is also where they're going to reside. And then you're going to have where is the child and where are the ado- where are the placing parents from? Then we have interstate adoptions.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. Or under county adoptions or whatever you know regarding foster care children that are in system right now. You know, people do get confused on international adoption, interstate adoption. There are there is some confusion, isn't that true?
0: Well, yes, it, there there is, and the interstate the interstate process involves the interstate compact on the placement of children this is a uh, a federal act that has been um, codified into each state's laws and the interstate compact governs adoptions between two states and and their responsibility is to make sure that the laws of each state that of the placing parent And that of the adoptive parents have been met. And the child cannot leave the, its biological parent state and go into the adoptive parent state until we have the interstate compacts approval from the respective states.
1: And this is what I tell people too, is that you, until you get that clearance, it's, you know, in simple terms, uh, they want to be sure you're not kidnapping this child across state lines. Um, because there are so many child abduction type things, and I know that's stretching it a bit, but they want to be sure that this child is going across state lines legally because it's not your child. uh, That is, that
0: is correct. And you, as an adoptive parent, also want to make sure that everything has been done legally because you don't want later, whether it's a week, four months, two years, you don't want anything to unravel. You've given your love to this child brought this child in your home as you, as as you build your family and it's devastating to the adoptive parents if something is not done correctly and legal and of course it is it is it is um uh, extremely harmful for the child to be placed in somebody's home who's giving them all this love and attention and then suddenly
1: they're gone. have to
0: be taken away from.
1: Exactly. And, and you know what? I'm going to actually have you share a story later on in the program about um, a few because I know you and I both have um, more stories about interstate compact or adoptive families that fouled it up than we have fingers to count them on. So yeah. I want to share that later on, have you share a story with that too. But, you know, some families think, you know, I don't know who, um, explain who does this paperwork because I know some families feel they can do the interstate compact work themselves, and it, I feel it's like doing their own brain surgery. You know, I would never consider myself um, capable of doing my own interstate paperwork, um, even though I'm an adoption professional, because I'm not a lawyer, and I don't want to foul up my adoption, but you still have families that come forth and feel they can save money if they try to do this. Let's go ahead and, and share what, who does the work and what's involved in it. Okay.
0: Well, first of all, every state has their requirements for an adoption and so you so adoptive parents we ha, you know we have to look at what is the adoptive parent state and what are the laws of that state then we have to look at the other state the the placing parent state and say what what are those adoption laws and what are their requirements now when now a general rule and uh, in an in interstate adoption is the laws of the adoptive parent state control the adoption. That's the general rule. Then we look at the placing parent state to see if that state's going to require something in addition to the adoptive parent state.
1: Such as uh, maybe uh, federal fingerprints, right?
0: Well, yes, we're looking at the every everybody has each state requires a home study of the adoptive parents, and this includes FBI clearances, Department of Justice clearance, and also the Child Abuse Index clearance. And there are, and then of course there that is just one section of the home study, but every state requires that, and every state's requirements um, are a little bit different. So as an adoptive parent, you're going to have to make sure that your home study meets your state's requirements. And unfortunately, I have found that that there are some uh, people out there who say they do home studies, and these home studies do not meet the requirements of their own state. So it's extremely important when they start... To to know that that they have a home study from an approved um, licensed person or adoption agency, and in some instances, governmental agency um, for their own state.
1: So, but, not just because a person's social worker. I remember a story of a family that was in, in, in Mississippi, and um, they had, had a gal from the state that said, "Oh, I can do your home study." And they said, okay, and they were going to save about $500. And so when they came out to California, um, ICPC looked at their home study paperwork and said, this is not a, uh appropriate home study. It, it's not compliant with what we need. And each family member, the husband had to fly back and complete the home study. While the wife stayed in California with the baby. And then when he flew back, she flew back to finish it. And I'll tell you what, it cost them thousands of dollars because they wanted to save 500 bucks instead of taking the recommendations um from someone that does that, and, and actually, that it starts from working with really good adoption professionals, whether it's attorney agencies, uh, facilitators that work in conjunction with an agency or, or attorney, but really making sure that that um, home study provider is a licensed social worker that can do a home study for uh, interstate adoption, or an agency that is qualified to do that too. Don't you? Oh, do yeah,
0: I, I agree. I agree fully. And I, and where you start. On any adoption is is putting together like i i like to say your 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 adoption professional team is p- each one is a piece of of the puzzle all very important, so you need to surround yourself with competent adoption attorneys that that uh, the uh, the adoption attorney the uh the the person or agency that's providing the home study the the adoption facilitator who's locating. The, uh, the, the, your child, these are all very important. And you have to, to look at each one and feel comfortable with each one because, as you know, I've said many times, uh, Marty, this is the most important decision in your life. And you have to be comfortable. And I say at a gut level, comfortable with each piece of the puzzle that is your team. And if you're, if you're not, then you need to, ask questions to either resolve that that feeling that, that that feeling that you have that you don't like or you find somebody else to fill that part
1: sure, I believe so too and you know it's really important because there are some states that don't allow facilitators by law and there are some that are agency only states that um, that restrict um, attorneys from doing independent adoptions and people really need to know their state laws but I also find that many times they'll speak to one adoption professional or just even um, an attorney that may, may do a family law, and really doesn't have any idea what the adoption laws are, and they send them in the wrong direction. And I really feel that it's important that people, and I'm, I'm sure you agree, that they work with, uh, if they're going to work with an attorney, that they do adoption law 90% of their time and not doing probate or real estate law or anything else because you want someone that really knows the adoption laws and has a relationship with that interstate compact office, and it's not going to cost you more money or heartache in the long run.
0: Well, and, and and they also and, and you touched on it. They need to, uh, when they are looking for an attorney, is they need to find out what that attorney's experience is in interstate adoptions, uh, how many they've done, uh, what states they've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, it is absolutely critical. It makes, for, um, for instance, my job that much more difficult. When I when I'm you know when we have a placing parent here in California
1: mm-hmm.
0: and adoptive parents are in another state and you have an attorney over there that
2: doesn't has know what no
0: they're doing clue what's going on and it always seems like well I have a fa- you know I have a family friend who mm-hmm. says he'll do this and won't charge very much and in the long run they save a lot of money but but I think the important things you know when we're looking at $500 here or $500 there or even $1000 here. I mean while that is still a lot of money in the scheme of things of raising a child at least through through high school, we're like you know the experts say somewhere between $250 and $300,000. So mm-hmm. saving $500 or $1000 um is insignificant. And you want make and the most important thing is you want to make sure that the adoption is done correctly and legal so you do not have problems.
1: And I think that's true. You know, I, I want to share a story about an interview I did with an attorney. I, I, I often call attorneys and interview them for either um doing work on the show or working with um you know adoptive families and I, I remember calling one attorney just not very long ago and asked him how much work um how much I C P C work he did, which is Interstate Compact. And he said, "I see what." <laughs> and so I stopped and I thought, "Okay, this is almost over this interview." And so I said, uh, "What type of adoptions do you do?" And he did mostly family and step parent, a little bit of you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, custody type things. And so very gently, I shared with him that this is just probably not an area that we could work on until he uh, upped his experience in that. But if you ask an attorney, I think if you interview them and they and you ask them, you know. Flat bank, just you know, how much ICPC work do you do, and they don't know what that means. You need to not go any further with that. Um, well, you you have
0: a choice to make. If it's an adoption attorney, mm-hmm. but he does not or she does not know how to work with the Interstate Compact, mm-hmm. then you have a choice of of saying I'm going to find somebody else or working with that attorney, but working with that attorney for only an in state adoption. Right. And if you right. do that, you significantly reduce um in, the the chances of of your child finding you. Mm-hmm. Um so you don't want to limit your you don't want to limit yourself and that's what's happened. I mean, if you live in a state uh some you know some states do not have Large populations. They may have large geographically. They may be large. For instance, the state of of Nevada, you know, you know, some of the the inland um, mountain states. They they do not have large numbers of placing parents. And if you live in that state, you had said when we started this, it could take three, five, seven, ten years to adopt just because of the sheer numbers and the beauty of the internet has been is we've been able to open up the whole united states
1: and what brings up and that's what opens up the interstate compact and even in my own adoption you know uh, over seventeen years ago um uh, we had um, many attorneys involved with it because it was interstate adoption. And I was given, you know, or my husband and myself were given misinformation uh, that really jeopardized our adoption and almost got the attorney disbarred because he said, oh, how the birth mom come in? She does not have to do anything. And had her fly into the state and place the baby with us but never went through interstate compact. You know, we didn't know. We were young and, and, and didn't realize the ramifications of that and it was terrible and we risked that adoption because we had bad advice from an attorney that really didn't know and it was actually referred by somebody else, um, but this attorney just didn't know. So I, I think I'm really adamant about, you know, people um, asking lots of really good questions and I know that in my book I have, I, I share on how to find a good attorney what questions to ask and from, from an attorney standpoint I, I want to ask you what else, uh, what else do you think is important? I know you've touched on a few questions, but what else would people ask, and I know it depends on the type of adoption they're doing and whether they have, you know, an attorney in another state they're going to work with, let's say the birth mom state, but what kind of questions should they ask an attorney when they're first interviewing them for an interstate compact adoption?
0: Well, running throughout the the whole interview not only in this case of, any of the of the uh, attorney, but any of the adoption professionals, I really believe you have to feel comfortable with this person, mm-hmm. and and um, it does not mean that if you have somebody who had who's had some experience with interstate adoption, and who is is really nice and is really personable, and you really connect with this person. It doesn't mean that somebody who has done thousands of interstates but is is not real personable that doesn't mean go with the the person who's done thousands of them this is This is not like um buying a car or other or other areas of law. this is your child, so you need to feel comfortable with this person so so it is important that they have interstate adoption experience and it is important that you feel comfortable now other things that you need to to, to ask is what states have they worked with right. if they haven't worked with some of the larger states where um there's there is a larger number of pla- uh, placing parents coming from then that you know that is one flag that you that you have, um, I think it's also important but not critical that the adoption attorney is an adoptive adoptive parent. Uh, when I talk to my clients, I'm able to um, talk to them as an attorney, and I'm also able to talk to them as an adoptive parent and I think that gives I, I think I have some insight because of that, and and we adopted out of another state, so we went through the interstate process. Also, uh, thanks to thanks to you finding our lovely mm-hmm. seven year old daughter. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
0: so uh, I, that is that is very important. Um, the accessibility to the attorney. If you make That's a call important. and. You've made three or four calls and you haven't heard back from him for days or a week. Maybe he's too busy or she. Maybe the attorney doesn't really care. Um, the, uh, there may be a, a perfectly good explanation, but somebody from that office
1: should, should be giving you
0: that—that that, uh, is saying, "Oh, the attorney's out of town on vacation; he'll be back on." this. Or
1: they're in court all week, or something. Or they're some in court.
0: So there should be re. There, so so that again, that all goes down to. Um, The comfort level, and and the attorney should be working for you. All your adoptive uh, uh, professionals, your adoption facilitator, your uh, agency, or person who's putting together your home study, the attorney, everybody's working for you. Don't forget that you are not working for them.
1: Right, and I think it's important too. That's why I'm finding more and more agencies are contacting. I know, like our center. Um, because there is a need for adoption facilitators that are qualified because if the attorney is uh busy and they can't return the phone call, the adoption facilitator should be there. Either uh a lot of law firms are getting their own adoption facilitators in house, but uh someone there that could hand hold the family and the birth parents because the attorney is practicing law, that is their specialty. And uh, but you know, the adopted family have needs and they're frightened and the birth parents are wondering what's happening and they're frightened too. You need to have, like you mentioned earlier, this team that works together and it, they, they let the egos go and they can work with each other for the good of the child and the adoptive parents and the birth parents. And if you don't have that team together, you need to put together a team because uh, I like it because when you have um, uh, all these people work together in harmony, you have a much smoother adoption because... Uh, the adoption facilitator may know the attorneys in in, in court, or he is or he or she is working on the case right now, and give them an update and kind of listen to them and walk them through the next steps they need to go through. What happens in a state, um, Jim? There are so many states uh, that are agency only states. Um, you know, let's share with who handles that paperwork when you are in a state, as Massachusetts or in a state that has agency only.
0: Well, there are six states that are agency only states, and so when we so we um, when we have an adoption with an agency only state, we have to we can only what that means is we have to have adoption agencies handling um, the paperwork both in, in both. both states, the adoptive parent state and the ado- and the ad- and the placing parent state. Now, going back to something you had a, a question you had asked me earlier about people trying to do this on their own. That um it's difficult to know whether or not you actually need an agency. For instance, you um if you have a uh adoptive parents in a state that allows independent, which is private adoptions direct placement, um with a state that has agency-only, that's the agency-only state may say, fine, we're just, you just go ahead and use your state's laws. You don't have to use ours. Therefore, it's not going to be an agency adoption. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of intricacies.
1: There are, and you know, it really changes. But how do, you know, you talk about six states, and I want to make sure we get this in. How do people know? If they're an agency-only state, what we're talking about, which states do you have down as far as agencies? Let's share that with the the listeners, too. We've got Massachusetts. um, We've got Colorado.
0: Colorado. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Wisconsin.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Delaware. Florida. Mm -hmm. Florida's kind of an interesting state to work with, they kind of, they seem to go back, a little bit back and forth. But mm-hmm. primarily just, at this point, you just think of Florida being um, uh, an agency state. And then... Um,
1: I think it's Arizona, isn't it Arizona?
0: No, I think I think it's Connecticut.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and what that basically means is, again, unfortunately in these states, and I'd like to see these laws change, that the families in the states are going to probably pay more money for their adoptions because they are required to go through agencies only.
0: Correct. Typically, agency-only states um, can um, anywhere can anywhere to uh, go two to four times the the cost of the independent adoption.
1: We had to attack, just, but, go ahead. I'm,
0: I was going to say, just for your information, um, in California, which uh, has both agency and an independent adoption. Eighty percent of the adoptions in California are independent,
1: which is, you know, as many states that are. We just had a question just came in from a listener too that says, um, "Does this limit um, the families to birth moms only in their state?" You know, I I I'd say no. I mean, they can. No, do it does.
0: Time. It doesn't limit you. You have two different. What is limiting? Only if is, you know if they are the an agency boss,
1: only state, yeah. Pardon?
0: The cost will be limiting. Mm-hmm. You either have the choice of doing an independent adoption or an agency adoption, or if you're in one of those six states, you only can do an agency adoption and so it's and and really the 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 prime the primary difference in the two really is is cost. You still have to have an attorney attorney has to file the legal work in your court county courts and And there's a whole series of of things that the attorney, so you you don't get rid of us.
1: well you're so funny. you know, I was going to say, so this is important to repeat again, even if you're an agency-only state, there still is a role the attorney plays in conjunction with the adoption agency to do the termination of birth parent rights. Is that correct? Correct. And uh, do they do the ICPC work too, or is that F2? no? That,
0: that the generally that's just handled by the agencies. Mm-hmm. But the attorney will do the termination of parental rights. They'll also they'll file the adoption petition, and um, they will coordinate with the agency on on obtaining some information, and uh, then they will they will set the final hearing date. Um, and depending on what state it is, there'll be additional uh... legal documents that have to be prepared for that uh... for the finalization date
1: and and are they able to pick then what and we talked about some guidelines you said general rule and so when i said general rule i know there's some exceptions there uh, there are times when we're looking at the receiving state, which is the adoptive family state, and the sending state, which is the birth family state, um, and we're looking at both laws. Are there times when the family can uh, choose uh, the other state's laws to complete the adoption?
0: Well, first of all, there are, the some, state. there are some states mm-hmm. that, th- that their interstate requirement is you use the laws of the birth mother state. Ah. Montana is one of those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you live in Montana and birth mother's in another state, you're going to be using the laws of the birth mother state. But if you're in another state and you have a birth mother in Montana, Montana requires, again, use birth mother state. So we have to use Montana's paperwork, mm-hmm. which means you use your own states. Mm-hmm. And then you all have to do in addition to that Montana's requirements. So that's just an, that's an example, but there are some other states that have what we call cho- our choice of law states. Oklahoma and Pennsylvania are two st- states that allow you to use either the adoptive parent state or the birth mothers are placing parents states.
1: Long. And that's Pennsylvania and um
0: Pennsylvania and Oklahoma, Oklahoma. are too mm-hmm. and so you just have to look at the situation
1: mm-hmm. and and, and possibly
0: even the county that you reside in because um
1: they some vary counties, by counties
0: mm-hmm. pardon me?
1: They they vary so much by county, you're right. Well they vary.
0: I mean the um the each county may may be more difficult for an adoption uh, just depending upon who the judge is, some may be more friendly than others. So, so as you can see, there's a lot of things you have to look at to decide um, what to do well, and what to do. And this all goes back to whether or not you want to do this yourself. It's it's I won't say it's impossible, but um, um, it's, it's nearly impossible.
1: Yeah, and you need a good adoption attorney. Jim, we're going to take a quick break when we come back here. Um, Mr. Handy, Mr. Jim Handy, uh, adoption attorney is going to go share more with us about interstate adoption. Don't touch that mouse, be right back.
2: Have you thought about adopting a child but don't know how to begin? Lifetime has come to understand the needs of prospective adoptive families through more than 18 years of experience. Step by step, we're with you until your child is safe and sound in your arms. Each year, we help more than 120 adoptive families nationwide realize their dreams of parenthood through safe, successful adoptions. If this is your dream and you have the desire to build your family through adoption, Visit lifetimeadoption.com and fill out our free application online. Take this first step toward welcoming home your little one, the baby meant just for your family. Visit lifetimeadoption.com today. Are you looking for help in funding your adoption? Lifetime Foundation has grants available in our African American and Biracial Enrichment Program. Currently, we have many birth mothers carrying African American and Biracial babies. These women are choosing adoption and are seeking families with open arms and open hearts, willing to love and nurture their infants and toddlers for a lifetime. If you are interested in applying for a grant, please visit LifetimeFoundation.org. Share this information with any friends, neighbors, and church family you know who would be interested in pursuing adoption. Please keep these children in your prayers. Visit LifetimeFoundation.org today.
0: Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption with Marty Caldwell. If you would like to participate in today's program, you can email Marty at info at letstalkadoption.com. Now, once again, here's Marty.
1: Welcome back to Let's Talk Adoption. Today, our guest is attorney, adoption attorney, James Handy, and we're speaking today about interstate adoption, how it affects you, uh, what it's all about, and how we can learn more about uh, interstate adoptions. That's adopting across state lines. Jim, we had another email that came in asking about military families and how do they handle their adoptions, because we have people listening from all over the world in different countries, and a lot of mer- military personnel listen to our program. Tell us how that works.
0: Okay. Uh, well, remember, interstate adoption deals with people who are residents um of the United States, all of our states. Um, so uh, if somebody let's say if somebody resides out of the United States, that is not going to be an interstate adoption and that does n- and so the interstate compact does not come into play. For instance, if I live in British Columbia, Canada and adopt then there is no interstate adoption. I still have, I have to deal with the adopt with my state in this instance, British Columbia, what their requirements are, and the the placing parent state now it 's a little bit different, however, when i'm in a milita- when li- 'm in the military and stationed someplace like
1: Japan, we have a lot of people in Germany and Japan that uh, quite a few in Japan that want to adopt in their military families. What do they do
0: well um, they have a residence, mm-hmm. even though they may they may uh, um, be stationed in in Japan. Their residence could be in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. And so, what we do now, we so we go. Okay, state of Texas. Now we know what law is going to control the adoption. So the first thing we need to know is where. When people call me, and I said, okay, where where do you call your home? Where do you call residence? And they says, oh well. We, that was in San Antonio, Texas. So now we know the law that is going to control the adoption. Depending upon where the birth mother is, there may be additional laws and requirements, but at least we know the main set. So when we have an interstate adoption, when we have an interstate, excuse me, an adoption that's interstate with a military uh, family stationed overseas, there is a, uh, let me see, there's no consensus by the interstate compact administrator uh, as to whether or not the interstate applies. Mm -hmm. So this just goes into another thing that makes it very difficult to do yourself. How do you know?
1: yeah and because you don't you're not really doing an international adoption
0: you're not doing an international adoption
1: but you're traveling so there overseas. are
0: there are some states that still say you are a resident of this state, granted you' know, are not living here right now, so we still have to do an interstate adoption. Some states say you're granted you do not granted you your residence is here, but it's not doesn't fall with the interstate within the interstate compact because you're not living well, in the state at the time. Well, how
1: about if a, a military uh, couple, um, you know, wife resides in one state and the husband's from another state? Um, how do they determine which state laws they go by? Is it where they actually have a home, or where they're registered to vote, or you know, this question comes in a lot. Uh, well, so.
0: residence is, is residency is is the actual. Definition of residence is where you, where you where you intend to live and live in the future. No, that's not changing homes, but I'm saying I'm going to live here and I'm going to stay here but more than thirty days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if you have, um, for instance, you have a husband who's stationed in Japan and his wife is stationed in Texas. Mm-hmm. I mean I, I lives in Texas. Well Texas is gonna most likely is gonna be the place of residence. If you have two family members, uh husband and wife that are in the military stationed different places mm-hmm. um the first thing that comes to mind is how are you gonna do this?
1: I how think I wait a little family bit family. Exactly. Not if, a good if, choice at that time.
0: Yeah, so maybe you you need to wait till you can actually be a family in one in, in, in one spot together.
1: And, you know, it's really interesting, too, because we have birth mothers that come to us because they are being deployed and they are not able to parent their child. They're pregnant. And and there are some restrictions um, for single moms in the military, and that's, again, another whole program, too. Um, um, I think that's really important to cover that. Jim, I know we, we're running out of time. I've got so many questions for you, too, and I've got some more questions that have come in from viewers, uh, listeners. But... Um, what can we expect in the interstate compact? Walk us through the steps so that people understand more about what they can do. And, and, and I don't want people to get confused that they have to do this themselves, but they've got to understand it so that when they're talking to an attorney, they'll know whether this attorney knows what they're doing, and they'll have some peace of mind because there's nothing worse than going in and not being educated, and, and we're all about education. So let's, let's talk about what to expect in interstate compact if we can do that now.
0: Well, what we've already discussed part of that once you have um, so part of your puzzle together, that is, once you have the person or the agency who is who is um, uh, preparing the home study, so you have to have the home study done. Um, I would recommend that you do some work at finding the attorney in your own state. Um, and then you find the you find um, the your adoption facilitator who's going to go and find you your child. So they contact Lifetime Adoption. <laughs> Another
1: uh, good uh, organization, but thank you so much for the plug. Well,
0: and 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 so Lifetime. One thing about Lifetime is they're very familiar with interstate adoptions. They're very familiar with all you know pretty much all types of adoptions that are private. But they're very familiar with interstate adoptions, so so there's there's a great resource right there as is, as, as to letting a person know, um, you know, what to expect. What do they need to do to get ready for an interstate adoption? But once there has been a match, once the birth parents and the adoptive parents have come together and agreed to move forward. To and to have that child placed whether the child's already been born or the mother is pregnant with that adoptive parents. So, depending upon if it's if the mother is pregnant, you know, depending upon her due date, you may have a little bit more time to to get things together. One is is you you're going to need an attorney in the birth parent state.
1: And sometimes so you, gotta, you have time to a plan for this and other times, as you know, uh you get the phone call from the hospital and you've gotta be able to move within a few hours.
0: That's true. Well the one thing is is if you get a call from a birth mother in another state who wants to place their baby with you and you do not have
1: um um home study Tim, A home study. hmm
0: You're not going anywhere.
1: Yeah, and it's and, not, it's not, and,
0: and, and it isn't gonna work. Yeah,
1: we have more families. And another thing that happens very often, Jim, is we find this over and over because we get a lot of babies that are just um, dropped in our lap. They just come in, we get phone calls every single week from hospitals and and organizations that say, I've got this situation. And uh, then we contact a family, and they haven't updated their home study. They haven't even thought about it. And they, they can't go do anything.
0: That's the other thing is 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 not only do you have to have the home study done to begin with and it's valid, but you've got to keep it valid. And a, the general a general rule on that is after one year it needs to be updated. Right now, every, again, every state's laws are different. That may not be true in your state, but in most states it is. So put it in
1: your tickler, put it in your Palm Pilot, uh, put it somewhere that you can get that and a date book that it will remind you at 11 months to check with your home study provider to say, hey, just make a quick phone call. am my home study doing? And allow a a week to get that phone call back. But, gee, don't let it sit on the back burner because you can pass up a situation. And it's very frustrating for for everybody involved, Um, especially a birth mother that has chosen a family to find out this family can't travel with that baby. Yeah, I mean, Uh, they
0: get the birth mother (laughs) has picked this family. She's gone through this whole process, which is extremely Mm -hmm. difficult. And she's got her heart set and her hope set and all of a sudden to be told, sorry this family, you, this family can, cannot, adopt your, cannot adopt your child because, you know, they're not ready to. Mm-hmm. The other, but, but that's also part of asking questions. Make sure when you talk to an agency, ask them, okay, when my home study is, fi- is finished and signed off on, when will I need an update? and if they'll say if you're if you're in the state of of Missouri and they're going to say okay our state requires an update after 1 year then you know you go in and you put it someplace calendared out um and I would start it at 10 months mm-hmm. just just to, to to get things moving mm-hmm. and so you don't have that situation where you get the call and um you go, know, my home study is not updated. I'm sorry, i got to pass on this.
1: We have that literally every month that happens with somebody for one reason. And sometimes they can catch in time, other times they don't. And that's another question that came in. Um, when is the best time to travel? Um, most prospective adoptive parents don't know when the baby is really going to be born. Do they travel when the birth mom goes into labor or on the due date? I mean, just briefly, um, you know, what do you recommend?
0: Well, it depends upon the relationship between the, the birth mother and the adoptive parents. If they've had the the opportunity, and believe me, it's a wonderful opportunity. And I would I, I would uh, suggest to everybody to get to know the, the, their birth parents. I agree as much as they as much as they can. There are some birth parents that. That that want to keep people at arm's length, mm-hmm. and and that's okay.
1: You have to respect that's that. That's their choice.
0: That. Yes, that you have to respect that. But if you can, get to know them. Mm-hmm. Now, um, and, and part of that is is when do you want me out here? You're doing f- four
1: weeks. And ask her. And you, you know, know what? That's just ask the question.
0: You ask. You just ask. Mm-hmm. Some I've had, you know, some people who have had such have have developed such a wonderful relationship with their birth mother. Come out a week before
1: spend some time, and you know what and, it's nice and, and you meet family you get yeah. your family, and they're more comfortable at the the hospital. It's almost like preparing for a wedding, I hate to say that, but it's it's in a situation you want to meet the the other side the in laws type of thing and in a positive way because you're going to learn about your child's history and medical issues, and uh this is an invaluable mm. time you may never have again
0: well, and it's also something that's going to come up later when your <laughs> child. Uh, understands that they're adopted, and they're going to ask uh, questions about your about the the birth parents and possibly their family. And you can, you know, if you met them and talked and spoken with them, you can t- give them good information. Your your birth mother, she loves you so much, mm-hmm. and she 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 just was in a situation she could not raise. Could not raise another child. She loved you so much, and she, and she said, "I had to had to give you to this wonderful family." Mm-hmm. But if you don't have those, you know that 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 hand experience, um, it it's makes it a little bit tougher. So yeah. if you have that ability, I would I would advise everybody to take that opportunity. I know there are fears mm-hmm. out there,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but. Um, You've you got to put them in the closet and leave them there
1: I think that's important uh to uh, for people to understand, and, and I know just getting comfortable with that um, you know the one thing I know that I want to ask about is people are going to ask about when they are going, traveling to the birth mom state and they're there how long and it, it depends on how long they're going to stay, and many times it depends on if there's a holiday or there's a weekend. Or I know that one state we work with, the ICPC worker is on vacation. You're stuck in that state. But normally, what is the average time someone can expect to be away and, and um, from their state if they're going to travel to the birth bomb state and stay there till they get clearance from ICPC?
0: Okay. Well, uh, one is, and well, I have to keep going back to this, it depends mm-hmm. upon the state mm-hmm. because each state, it's, it can be a little bit different as to when the placing parent can sign their respective state's consents. Some say 10 days, some, which is very, very unusual. Some 48 hours, some 72 hours. Some can be upon discharge from the hospital if some other uh, factors have been met. So it it's going to be different depending upon where you live. But once once the the uh, paperwork is signed and say let's for instance um Texas Texas 48 hours after birth, that's the earliest the the placing parents can sign.
1: That's written that isn't that law that's changed recently in the last couple of years?
0: Uh the it's Texas changed. law? Mhm.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Um I think it's been that way for a little while. Has it been? Because yeah. I mean,
1: they have some great laws, as, as does Washington State. And a lot of states are getting better with their, their time frame, too. Yeah.
0: Yes. To um, so so let's for in this example. So you have 48 hours. Now, once the paperwork is signed, I tell people four to five business days mm-hmm. to get the clearance from both states. Now, again I say business days because we're interstate compact is, is the administrator is that uh, is a state employee. And so weekends and holidays they're not there. So um
1: And it if seems everything on your runs, is gone too, you know. I mean a lot of factors people can't get at. Oh,
0: oh, I had I had one a couple years ago. It was in uh, late January in Oklahoma. And the snowstorm came in and closed down everything, including the state offices, for a week. There's nothing you can do. Nothing that can be done. Mm-hmm. So.
1: And getting upset won't help the situation at all. It just cause your child to be a little more uh, stressed out, and um, and you're cooped up. It's just it's it better is it to chill out. And uh, there's a reason for everything.
0: Well, and there's a reason you've hired the people you've hired to do this. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, my you know my philosophy is I want to get people home. Or at least give them the the choice to go home as quickly as possible.
1: Right, right. Yeah, and yeah.
0: and now I also tell people that the interstate adoption, I mean it, it you can make it a you can make it a horrible thing, or you it, or it can be a wonderful thing. Now, when I my adoption interstate, um, we. The, the, it was in Nevada 72 hours after birth. Well, that fell on a holiday. So we had to wait an extra day before we get everything signed and before it could be submitted to the interstate. But we spent such a, we had just a wonderful, memorable time, my wife and I, and my son, and our little girl.
1: And you and really, you is, turned lemons into lemonade, and you really uh, said, you know what? um let us just spend this time really bonding to each other
0: that's what it is it really is because you just get to sit there and, and look at this <laughs> look at God's creation it's the most wonderful thing and wonderful hey, word thing but event there there really is that's And a, you know a, a work is
1: be, work will be there when you get back
0: work and will be there and you know <laughs> you have you have your cell phones if you have to do those types of things but enjoy this time because when you get home it's going to be a revolving door you're going to have so many people Wanting to see the new baby and congratulate you and do all this, all your relatives from all over the place, maybe some relatives you never even knew you had, gonna show up and you're gonna be beat. And, mm-hmm. and you're gonna look back at those, maybe those few extra days you had to stay in this other state and go, boy, that was really relaxing.
1: And you won't even know that's true. Then we had one family, I know personally, that, that basically stubbed their nose to ICPC and said, you know, we're going to go home, and there's nothing you can do. And you know, they end up having to return that child a six months later, and because they did not follow the rules of that state, and that really ticked off the ICPC and the courts.
0: If you are in violation of the interstate, then the interstate has the power to tell you to start again. That all the paperwork is null and void.
1: That's a nightmare.
0: And so, if that is, if that is what has happened is as you've got a child, you may have thought that it was an irrevocable consent that the birth parents could not change their mind. And now all of a sudden that is invalid.
1: And they have to but go back and get the signatures You have the to bruiser. go
0: but yes, you have to oh. go back to the back to the birth parent state. Mm-hmm. The and who, and the attorney in the birth parent state has to go to the birth parents and get them to re sign the consents. Mm-hmm. And and that's why it is absolutely essential that what the adoptive parents and the birth parents when they're talking agree upon in terms of contact in terms of 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 what you, you know what you're going to do maybe while you're waiting to get clearance to go to go home you follow through on it not only because hey if you if if you said um uh, oh, let's you know. Once we get discharged from the baby gets discharged from the hospital, we'll go have dinner, or I'll take we'll take you shopping, or we'll go do this or do that, and you and you just avoid the birth mother. It's it's one. It's not good for her.
1: It's not good but, for you either. Everything it, goes around, comes around. So I mean, it I really, does. So, so you come back,
0: and she's going. I don't like these people. These people mm-hmm. did not follow through on those simple things. I can't trust them. I can't trust them to even be a loving, caring.
1: Mm-hmm. And I have uh, had, I have parents. You know, the one of the stories I have, and I'll briefly go on because I've got a couple more questions for you, Jim. Is that uh, we do have? You know, I, I've had this situation happen where a birth mother was upset with the adopted parents. That happened. The birth, the adopted parents came back and said we have to get other signatures. And the birth mom said, you know what? Find another family for this child. Yeah. And after pleading, saying, you know, gosh, the baby's been there, bonding, everything, she says, no, this is my baby. I don't want this family. They haven't been honest. They're not going to be. And I'll tell you, I don't think people should get involved with adoption unless they can be honest themselves, birth parents, and their children. I am adamant about that, and I really get my soapbox because it all comes down to honesty. And if you're not honest now, you're not going to be honest later on, and you're going to teach your child that deception is good, and that's not true.
0: That's right. And I think it's really bad. And we're dealing, we're also dealing with adoption here, and, and it would be, it it would could be very easy. To deceive your child, not to let your child know that that, that they're adopted.
1: Well, that'll get your what child worse? in the future. Yeah, know, be so. nothing.
0: I can imagine, mm-hmm. you know, few things worse mm-hmm. than you know being fifteen and sixteen years old and finding out I'm adopted. i mm-hmm. um, maybe finding in a, some adoption adoption decree in the in the paperwork I was looking through in my my dad's desk or something, mm-hmm. and 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 here I am going. I'm adopted? What else haven't they told me? What, are yeah. they, what have they withheld? What have they deceived me all my life about?
1: Yeah. Hey, Jim, I've got two questions for you. you okay. uh, Briefly, um, because we're, I know we're getting ready to go into the mailbag here, but I want to get these questions out. Through this whole process we've been talking about, is this something people should be fearful of? I mean, we, we were talking a lot about things here, um, new words and terminology that people may not be familiar with. Is this something that people should be fearful of?
0: No. And And... Uh, I really don't have to go any more than that. If you are fearful of adoption, you don't
1: adopt. You read books, so, talk to people, get past that point before you adopt right.
0: Yes, and so if so once you make the decision, okay, we are going we want to adopt, then you just go and, you know, wherever my baby is, my baby may be in in Hawaii, my baby may be in Maine. My baby um I mean, you may have somebody who would say, you know, I don't want a, any baby from the South. I only want a West Coast baby. <laughs>
1: it's so funny. Yeah, I know that one, Jim. We won't even go there. That's an inside story. But but I think that, you know, people need to realize there are children to adopt. There are good adoption professionals, but you've got to have the tools. What last tips can you give, um, Jim, to our listeners regarding interstate compact, uh, regarding, you know, uh, going through adoption?
0: Well, first, you have to... Um, trust in the people you surrounded yourself, and listen to them. Very important. Don't play lip service. Listen to what they have to say. Ask questions. And I've had people who have been in my office, and a week later or even the next day, they'll ask me a question that I fully went over. It's a lot of information.
1: Right. Get it in writing. Write, make Take notes. Read books. And I think preparing yourself ahead of time, you're going to save hundreds of dollars by getting the right adoption books and talking to the right people and learning. This is the most important house you'll ever build. You'd never go to a contractor and write them a check without checking them out or understanding if you wanted a ranch-style house or a Cape Cod. The same thing happens in adoption. I think people need to be prepared. They need to know what they're getting into, and they need to start today if they're going to go ahead and adopt in the next few weeks. Oh, I uh, think and they all
0: they also need to, if they can... Relax and let the process be take itself. it's like kind of like your your river you it's It's hard to divert it one way or another, and if you do, it causes some eddies, it causes some problems.
1: you may drown in, in the meantime too if you're trying to go up the river the wrong way
0: that that's right, so you let your adoption professionals deal with it. That doesn't mean you turn a blind eye to what they're doing. If you have questions, you ask them
1: yeah. Well, Jim, I really appreciate you being on the show today and sharing your insight and your advice and the the work you've done with adoption. Thank you so very much. And anybody interested in um speaking to you, could you go ahead and give us your website and maybe a phone number they can they can contact you with?
0: Sure. Our website is info at littleangeladoptions.com. dot com. The S is at the end of adoption. And a phone number is nine one six 941 8120 and and as you know Marty um uh I don't charge for consultation fees I think it's important that everybody has the information it's an informed decision that you're making the most important decision that you can make and i know that that i have for instance that lifetime adoptions can i mean they, they have birth mothers from all over the united states They call call in, and I will answer their questions for them. They may be placing, they may not. They may place with somebody in my state, they may not. And I also have adoptive parents that do that too, and of which I can give referrals to to other professionals in their state. So we
1: really um, appreciate that because that's very helpful for people too. So. I really appreciate your time, Jim. Thank you so much. And if anybody has missed the address or anything, just contact us at info at and we'll forward that over to Mr. Handy or send you his information, too. Thanks again for being on the show, Jim. Now on to our adoption mailbag. Each week, we'll answer your questions emailed to us from our listeners. You can submit your questions by emailing info at letstalkadoption.com and we'll answer your questions on the air. Today, Kim is here to
2: share some questions from our adoption mailbag. Welcome to the show, Kim. What do you have for us today? Well, let's see. Our first question is from Fran in Ohio, who asks a question regarding our show on older parent adoption. Mm -hmm. Um, She asks, why can't you accept the facts of biology? The prime time for conception is between 18 and 30. Why do you believe that if you want a child after 40, you're entitled to one?
1: Well, Fran, I I, I understand what you're asking, and I'll tell you what. As a, an infertility patient, it is very, very difficult to time when we could get pregnant. And I think for a lot of people out there, they try from 18 to 30. I tried from 13 to 18, uh, 18 to 30 to get pregnant and wasn't able to. I able to actually lost seven pregnancies during that period of time um, and finally conceived uh, a daughter. But it's very, very difficult for many people. Um, we can start very early, and we still want to have a child. And, and if that means at 40 years old we've tried and tried, Um, And they have the energy and the determination. I think it's very, very important. It's important that we need to be happy and and resolved in ourselves um, about other people's blessings. Um, You can't be blessed in your own life if you can't be happy for other people. And there is a child, I believe, for every person out there that wants to adopt, and that means that there is not a shortage. Um, It really is... Determining, you know, what you want out of life and being happy for other people, too. And I feel that if you're at 40 years old and you would like to adopt, yes, it would have been wonderful if you could do it at 30, but many times that wasn't the right timing and that people need to be able to adopt uh, when they want to. And if that's at 40 years old, um, God bless them. I I, I hope they do a great job in, in parenting, and I hope that that child has them for a long, long time. So I hope that helps you, Fran, understand that many people would love to conceive between 18 and 30, but it just doesn't happen always that way. There's a reason for everything in life.
2: So I hope that helps you.
1: On to another question, Kim.
2: Um, this question is from Jeanette in North Carolina. She says, I am getting ready to take my daughter, who is now 27 years old, back to El Salvador to meet her birth mother. We are so overwhelmed with emotions right now. I want to thank her birth mother for the wonderful gifts she gave me. Do you have any suggestions as to what we could bring that would express our gratitude?
1: Well, I think the first thing I would do, Jeanette, is, is I uh, you haven't determined whether or not you told me whether or not the um, – birth mother speaks english and and i'm assuming she does not and if so i would have a letter translated i've done that before too write out your feelings and thoughts to this birth mother and have it translated in spanish for her very important that she has this as a treasury and then i would take her a small little gift basket something you can take over state line without a problem the country line uh without a problem at all it's important that she knows too that you have been a gift to her child and vice versa, and that the birth mom is a gift. Um, So um, I would, at this point, encourage you to have a letter there to give. And then also speak to your daughter on what her expectations are and what she'd like to do too, because it might be nice to have her um, provide a gift to her birth mother at that time. Um, expect the unexpected, take lots of pictures, take batteries um, for your camera, and uh, make this an event that she can have in her scrapbook forever. So I wish you the very best, and I hope you'll let us know how your trip goes, too, and your reunion.
2: And I think right. we have time for one more. Okay, great. Our next question is from a listener who wants to know, um, how old is too old to adopt?
1: Well, you know, very much like what we had just answered with our question. It really dep- tem- tem- uh, depends. Marty?
2: Yeah, I'm going to start again. Do you want to do the the number five instead? Yes, go ahead and do that. Okay, Say, so I think we have time for one more question.
1: I think we have time for one more question.
2: Bailey in Oregon asks, My mom is a single parent and we were talking last night and we have a question. Since my mom is a single parent, can she become a foster parent? We would really like to adopt a child over the age of 10. Is it okay for my mom to adopt a child since she is a single parent?
1: Well, Bailey, I
2: think um, if your mom's single and she wants to adopt and she
1: has the resources and time, and um, she has family support. Um, single parents do adopt. It's very important, as with any a child needs a mom and dad figure in their life, and it's always best if there's a mom and dad in the family. But often single parents have larger extended families and other family members that can actually be surrogate um, parents for them. Um, so you really have to look at that, and this is going to be a decision for your mom, but it's really good that you're excited about accepting another child into your family, and I think it's always wonderful when a child can grow up with siblings um... that's important for people that are considering a second adoption um, you don't want to have your child alone when you go and your child left in life uh, even if they're married or not it's important siblings are important to a uh, family and i think it's important that if you adopt one child you adopt another one um, whenever possible so i would say your mom needs to work with someone that um... can uh... work with single parents and be successful and i'm really glad you sent us this question bailey thank you so much well, that's it for this week's mailbag. Thank you, Kim, and I appreciate your assistance. Our show is broadcast every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. Eastern. Our show and guest information is listed on our site at Let's Talk Please sign up for our free newsletter and our Let's Talk Adoption reminder email. Visit our site for information on how to purchase CDs of previous shows or to listen to archived shows. Thank you for joining us during this last hour. I hope you found the show to be informative and helpful. Until next week, this is Marty Caldwell of Let's Talk Adoption. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.